Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. What's your family history? I wonder if every, anybody's ever asked you that. Maybe at the doctor's, maybe just at a, at a party or, I don't know, somebody trying to get to know you. Tell me a bit about yourself. Tell me about your family. Well, we're going to be, over the next few weeks of the summer, learning about our family history, about the history of the, of the church, of God's people, about God's plan of salvation, about who we are being part of that family. And we'll be doing that by looking at a few different locations. If you like, we'll be looking at the set that the actors played on, and the different places, a few different places through the story of the scripture. So today we're going to have a look at a beach. You may have guessed that already from the kind of things that the children brought along with them. Um, so this is our new summer series. We wish you were here, kind of location, location, and location, that kind of thing. And today's location is a beach. Next week it's into the mountains. It reminds me a little bit of our holiday. We had a holiday in, in um, Scotland a couple of weeks ago. On the beach one day, up in the mountains the next um, in Scotland, they're pretty much next to each other if you're over on the West Coast. It's really beautiful. But today is the beach, next week the mountain. I wonder if you know your Bible, you can guess where we're going next week. Um, but today is the beach, right? But not a holiday beach, really. But a very, very significant beach, nonetheless. And beaches are, if you think about it, quite significant in our history, um, perhaps significant in our own lives. I got engaged on a beach um, to Bethan. Um, some of my best childhood memories are from beaches where I grew up in, in Indonesia. Our history in Britain hinges on, at least recent history, on what happened at some beaches in, you remember, we celebrated it the other day, at Normandy Beaches, celebrated the uh, centenary? Um, 70th, wasn't it? Yeah, um, not quite centenary yet. No, it's not 20. <laughs> 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings at the beaches. Now, those beaches, on those beaches, something happened that made us who we are in a sense, if you're British anyway, that made you who you are, that changed the course of history. And something on the beaches that we read about today, on the beaches of the Red Sea, happened that changed the course of world history. That also makes you who you are if you're a Christian. Because it's not just an event that happened not even 75 years ago, pretty significant for us, but thousands of years ago to the people of Israel, to a different nation, to a different group of people far, far away, long, long ago, so how does that have significance on us today? I mean, maybe if you're into the Bible and um, Christianity and that kind of thing, you'll find this interesting. It's a, an interesting story for you to read and see and learn a bit about e Egypt and Israel and Moses and all that kind of thing. But if you're not really just into the Bible, what does this have for you today? Well, I've given you a bit of a clue already, but this is our family history, especially if you're a Christian. This is your history. This is part of who you are. This is something that makes you who you are. So like when we read the, the story of D-Day, and as British people, we think, oh, that has an effect on who I am. I would be different if that hadn't gone as it went. Well, so we should go back and look at this and understand who we are through the lens, if you like, through the lens of the Red Sea crossing, of the Exodus, and all of that story. It's not just something for history. It's not just something for the Israelites, for the Jews of today. Something for you and I, if we're trusting in Jesus. It's our family history. Can I prove that to you? 
Can I show you that this isn't just a story from history? If you've got quick fingers, you can flick up with me. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This exodus, um, this crossing over of the Red Sea is something that's mentioned loads in all of Scripture, lots in the, in the Old Testament. Out of Egypt I called my son. In Hosea, you, if you've been to the ladies' Bible studies, you may have read that recently. But even more so in the New Testament, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, this is 1 Corinthians 10, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened as examples for us. Just the chapter before, he says, surely he says this for us, writing about Moses and something Moses wrote, that the Old Testament was written for you and me, not just as an interesting history, but I mean as an example for us. So in Hebrews 11 as well, do you remember the Hall of Fame of Faith? All these different heroes like Abraham and um, Isaac and Jacob and Noah, all mentioned as faithful people. Well, this is in that as well, the Red Sea people who crossed over by faith and the evil Egyptians, who couldn't cross over because they didn't have faith in God. They were against him rather than trusting in him. And so these stories are written for me and you, not just obviously there in the, in the Old Testament, but in little phrases like where Jesus says, if anybody trusts me, he's crossed over from death to life. There's all sorts of that kind of language in the New Testament. Maybe as you're reading in your quiet times this, this week, read through some of the Gospels or some of Paul's writing, and you'll see the talk about redemption, talk about crossing over, talk about freedom from slavery, talking about um, being fed in the wilderness, talking about a rock. All of these are bits and, and pictures, little things that come from the story of the Exodus. So flick back with me if you went on to the New Testament. Let's go back to Exodus 14 and try and work out together parts of this story. Let's see a bit of how it applies to us today how it shows us who we are, and how it invites you. If you're not a Christian, you're visiting today, very, very warm welcome. It's lovely to have you, especially if it's your first time, by the way, welcome. Maybe this is all a bit strange, but hopefully today's sermon, hopefully this story, will give you a bit of a picture of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to have crossed over that sea and to be standing in a new country. But let me get back to the beginning. So the beginning of the story of the Red Sea could go a bit like this. If you were to land, take a time machine, and land in the lap of the Israelites on that day, and you ask them, oh, who are you? Explain to me. Tell me a bit of your family history. Tell, tell me who the Israelites are. They would say this to you, or perhaps they might say something like this. Well, I was in a foreign land, living in slavery, under the sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. You might know the story of Passover, where they killed a lamb, and so they were set free. Maybe that sounds very strange. You could go back and read it. It's just a couple of chapters before what we read in Exodus. I took shelter under the blood of the lamb, they would say, and I'm following our mediator, Moses. I'm following the leader, the one who stands between us and God, and he's led us out and helped us to cross over. Now we're on our way to the promised land, and we're not, yet, we're not there yet, but God has given us his law. On the way, God has given us his law to make us a community, He's given us a tabernacle, this strange tent, where we see blood spilled, poured out for us, because we need to learn to live by grace. His presence is in our midst, and he's promised to stay with us until we get home. That's kind of the story of the Exodus. That's what an Israelite might say to you. And if you were listening closely, I wonder if you noticed 
we could say almost exactly the same thing if you're a Christian. Do you see that this is our story? That we are living in a foreign land to us as Christians. This isn't really our home anymore. Even if you were born and brought up in Ammonford, this isn't really your home. I wonder if you feel a bit of that in your heart. That we were living in slavery. We were under the sentence of death, but we took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. We're following our mediator, the one that stands between us and God. Actually, he is God himself anyway, but we're on our way to a promised land. We're not there yet, but he's given us a way of life. He's given us his laws to make us a people, to make us a community. He's given us grace. He's poured out his own blood so that we would learn to live by grace day by day. His presence is in our midst. When two or three are gathered, he's promised to be with us, and he's promised to stay with us until we get home. Do you see that our story, your story and mine, is the story of the Exodus, is the story of the Red Sea crossing. So three things that we see from the passage just today. Three things that we see. Well, the first is that we're rescued from something. The second is how we're rescued. And the third is why we're rescued. I mean, why us? So we're rescued for something. How, I mean, what do we do to get rescued, if we do anything at all? And three, why or who is doing the rescuing? So have a look back, Exodus chapter 14, and we'll see about that. What are we slaved from? So what are we saved from? Sorry, giving you a little bit of a clue. I hope you've seen it already. They're saved from slavery. Did you hear this? It's incredibly ironic, isn't it? When the king of Egypt, verse, verse 5, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. <laughs> they were slaves. They weren't servants. They were slaves who were forced to work for hundreds of years, brutally, brutally enslaved. They lost their services. They lost their slave labor. They realize what a mess they've made in letting them go, that now they have to do their work on their own or they have to pay someone to do it. They've lost their slaves, and the people of Israel have been rescued from them, from their slavery. But this slavery has layers. Can we get that um, first slide up? Here we go. What we're getting out of, what we're being rescued from, is slavery. But it's slavery that comes with layers, isn't it? There's slavery with chains, with whips, where your body is actually enslaved, you are forced to do the work. That's kind of objective slavery. But there's also slavery of the heart, isn't there? I wonder if you saw that in the story as it goes on. So Pharaoh got all his chariots ready, chased down the Israelites, and they said they're either going to kill them or bring them back home. And when the Egyptian, when the Israelites heard them approaching, looked up and saw them marching after them, this is verse 10, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, let us, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Is that what they said? Look back with me a couple of chapters. Chapter 4, verse 29. I'll read to you what they said when Moses and Aaron brought them together, all the elders of the Israelites, and proposed the plan, told them everything that the Lord had said. This is chapter 4, verse 29. Told them everything the Lord had said to Moses about rescuing them from, from slavery. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped and said, of course we'll go. <laughs> We're slaves. Of course we'll go. Anything is better than this. Then being worked to death by the Egyptians. But now, 
Do you see what's happened? You can take the slave out of slavery, but it's very, very difficult to take the slavery out of the slave. You can take the people out of Egypt, but it's hard to get Egypt out of their hearts. It's not the first time that they, not the last time that they do it either. If you flick on a couple of chapters, you'll see them complaining about the food that they get and claiming that they used to have pots of meat and cucumbers and all sorts of delicious food in Egypt. It's just not true. I don't know what it is. The rose-tinted rearview mirror of slavery. Some of you might be familiar with Stockholm Syndrome. This strange, strange thing where people who've been taken captive, who've been kidnapped, sort of miss their captors. Even sometimes weirdly sort of enjoy and even fall in love with the captors, the people who are holding them and abusing them. This is a weird Stockholm Syndrome of the heart. But I imagine it's not unfamiliar to us, is it? That we're enslaved, as well, at least we were. If you're a Christian, you can say, I was enslaved. Enslaved to sin, to my desires, to just wanting to do stuff. And sometimes I didn't want to do it, but then I ended up doing it anyway. I just couldn't stop over and over again, even when it hurt other people, and I regretted it. The next week, I was just back again, even though it hurt me and it ruined my health. And I stopped for a bit, but the next week, the next month, the next year, I was back again. I couldn't get away from it. That slavery to hurting others and hurting myself and turning my back on God. You see, we're all slaves as people, slaves to our desires, slaves to sin, but also under the condemnation of death, like the Israelites were. Because to turn your back on God is to turn your back on life. To turn your back on the one who's given you everything is the ultimate betrayal. To turn the back on the one who made you means that, well, you'll be outside of his presence forever, and that's death. Death of the body and death of the soul. Eternal death. You see, we were slaves. If you're not a Christian, it maybe is a strange and harsh and hard thing to say, and there's good news coming, so keep your seat, but you're a slave. Let me show you how that works a little bit. We can't even keep up to our own standards, let us alone the desire for kind of perfection that we have in our hearts. But imagine that you had a tape recorder or an MP3, whatever recorder nowadays, hanging around your neck all of the time, and think that it recorded every time this last week, month, maybe the year, that you've said, oh, that should happen, or they should do that, or I should do that. Every time you say something should happen, that recorder clicks on and records you saying it. Now play that back to yourself and ask, do you do everything you think should happen? Sammy mentioned last week, do you drive in the way that you think other people should drive? Do you treat your family in the way that you think you should be treated by them? All those times that we've said, we should, we should, we should. We don't even keep up to our own standards, do we? Do you see, we're caught in it, caught in this bind of knowing that we should be better, knowing that we should be perfect, and yet just having regrets all the way through our lives, even when we try our best, even when we do pretty well. You see, we're slaves to our own desires, slaves to sin, to doing wrong, And that puts us under condemnation. It puts us under the sentence of death because it cuts us off. It it puts a, a huge big lake, a sea, between us and life, us and God, us and light. So we're enslaved. But that slavery, those chains can be taken off. That's what Jesus has done. That's the good news of Christianity. That's why you should keep your seat if you if you're not a Christian, because the good news is somebody has come to redeem us, to bring us, to break us free from that slavery, and his name is Jesus. Jesus came, 
We'll think a bit more about him in a minute. But to free us from slavery, to take it all away, to take away that sentence of death, to take it on himself, to free us from the power of sin, to give us his Holy Spirit, to make us new, to give us new hearts, so that with his power, we can actually say no to stuff and say yes to good and no to wrong. He's broken that objective slavery. The chains are gone. We've crossed over the sea, but it's difficult to get the slavery out of the slave, isn't it? Our hearts often forget that. We can hear from the front, from our Bibles, from our friends, time and time again, you're forgiven. Jesus loves you. And then the next day we'll forget it. You're forgiven. And then we forget. You're forgiven. And then we forget. It's all by grace. God has given you as a gift. And then we forget. Just like these people forgot how awful it was in in Egypt just a few days before. Those rose-tinted spectacles of sin. And so we struggle still with slavery, don't we? The kind of slavery of the heart. What does that look like? Well, it kind of works maybe in three ways. Slavery to bad stuff, slavery to good stuff, and slavery to other kings and gods. Let me try and explain those just really briefly. Well, sla- that slavery to bad stuff still happens, doesn't it? We still have temptations. We still hear the voice of temptation and go back to those old sins. And the more that we go back, the harder it is to get away again. Even when we're Christians, I know what that's like, to do something that you really don't want to do. Some habits are easily broken, aren't they? Some of you know what that's like. When you became a Christian, there are things you just, just don't do anymore, and it seems like you changed overnight. But there's other things that seem much more deeply rooted, that are hard, far harder to get rid of, that just seem to keep coming back. That's slavery to bad stuff, slavery to sin. But you need to remember who you are. That's not who you are anymore. So turn your back on it. Ask God for power. Cry out to him that he would keep changing you and making you look like Jesus. But there's also slavery to good stuff. What do I mean by that? I mean, that, that's slavery to doing good. That's forgetting that God welcomes us just because he wants to, just because he loves us, not because we've earned it at all, but because he's given us his forgiveness as, as a free gift. And we forget that, don't we? And so we keep trying to do good things. And so we're sort of enslaved. Do you see what I mean? Enslaved by doing those good things. We could call it legalism. Some people call it that. Doing good things to try and get into God's good books. That's what you do when you realize your body isn't quite in the shape that it should be. And so you make a resolution. You say, I'm going to change. I'm going to do better tomorrow. Or you get towards the end of your life or just get a little bit older, look back and see, I haven't really done what I should have done. I'm I regret things that I've done in my life. Tomorrow, I'm going to try harder. That's my solution. Tomorrow, it's going to be better. And then perhaps we might wake up to God and realize that I haven't given him what he deserves. I haven't sung of him. My life doesn't sing about him. I haven't lifted him up and lived for him. And so we resolve and say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to fix that relationship myself. I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to get into religion. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to do all sorts of good stuff. And do you see you're putting your hands back into chains? It's what the whole of the book of Galatians is about, by the way. Flick onto the New Testament. You could read that in, a, I don't know, 40 minutes this afternoon, maybe less. It's about a group of Christians who'd forgotten God's free gift of forgiveness. And they had kept trying to do certain things, certain, uh, I don't know, um, uh, like habits, certain religious things, certain moral things, just to try and get into God's good books to impress him again. But Paul writes to them really strongly, and he says, you're putting your hands back into chains don't do that. You've forgotten who you really are. You've forgotten that God loves you just because he loves you, not because of anything you've done. So live in that freedom. Enjoy the freedom of knowing that God loves you. You see, that's slavery to good stuff. Slavery to doing wrong, 
We know what that's like, the pull of temptation. Slavery to doing good, that's religion. Trying to impress God. But slavery to idols as well. Slavery to things which really are good, but which kind of take over all of our desires. We don't really have much time to get into that, but you might know what some of those things are. Your work, your family, these good gifts that God has given to us, but that we make big things, ultimate things, that we spend all of our time thinking about, that all of my identity and kind of happiness is rooted in, in that thing. So that if I'm disappointed by my family, if they let me down, if, if my career doesn't pan out the way I wanted it to, it kind of crushes me and destroys me. Do you see how that's another God? It's another enslavement. It's like Pharaoh saying, do what I want you to do or I'll kill you. That's what idols do. Good things that God has given to us, but they become rulers of us. So you have to spend all your time in your career. You have to spend all your time perfecting your children. You have to spend all of your time on, I don't know, Instagram, perfecting your, um, your image in front of other people. And it becomes a, a slavery becomes something that was good, that was a nice gift that you enjoyed to begin with, but now is ruling over your life. That If it goes wrong, if it disappears, crushes you. You see, we're so prone to just put our hands back into the shackles and say, here we go, take me back to slavery. I think it was so much more fun than this. Especially when we're out in the desert, when things are going difficult following Jesus. We're prone to that slavery, but we've been freed from it. Back to our story. And you'll see that they're freed from it. The story that the kids kind of acted out, the story that Donna read to us, is that this slavery is behind them. They want to go back, they feel the pull of it, but it's been broken. There's a sea between them and that slavery. It's objectively gone, even though it kind of hangs on the heart a little bit. So what do we do about that? Well, we remind ourselves of how we got free. So here's our point number two. What we're getting out of? Well, we're getting out of slavery, but slavery has layers. It goes really deep. So how do we get out of it? And all those deep layers too? Well, we get out by crossing over by grace. Did you see what Moses told them to do? Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm or stand still, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. And then the Lord comes up over and over again, doesn't he? It's the Lord who does this, the Lord who does that, the Lord who, the Lord, the Lord is sending. He's the Lord who's saving. And what are the people doing? Standing. Standing still, watching him do it. That's a brilliant picture of salvation, isn't it? Of what I've been saying about how it's not about what we do, of what Jamie preached a couple of weeks ago on salvation being by grace. This is a picture of it, isn't it? You could say it in a sentence like this. Salvation is by grace, not by works. So salvation is by God's gift, his gift of grace, not by works, not by what you do. What you do comes afterwards. We'll get to the mountain next week. But what we do comes after God has saved us. So what do we do while God is saving us? Well, you stand there. Think of it like medical treatment for a, for a, a, um, a terminal disease. What can you do except lie there and trust the doctors to help you? Trust the doctors to heal you. So what can we do in salvation when we're in chains? The only thing you can do is wait for somebody to come and rescue you, to smash those chains and to bring you to the other side of the Red Sea. Do you see? Stand there and watch God do this salvation. That's a pretty hard thing to do, isn't it? 
what is it that we're called to do, to do to be a part of that? Well, it's to trust God. It takes a lot of trust to do that, doesn't it? Not to run off and start trying to fight the Egyptians by ourselves. Not to run off in the other direction and try and hide. Not to try and jump in the sea and swim. It takes a lot of trust to stand still and watch and wait for the Lord to do that. So what does that look like? Well, it looks for us like prayer. It looks like coming to him and saying, Lord, I give this into your hands. I don't want to be on the treadmill of trying to do good and to impress you. I don't want to go back to that sin anymore. Would you take it from me? Would you save me? It looks like that humble prayer. But maybe we might say, oh, it's all about the strength of our faith, isn't it? If this is the thing that we've got to do to have faith. So I'm not really sure if my faith is strong enough. Well, think about the people of Israel again. Think about them walking through with a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. You can imagine some of them would be walking through thinking, yes, this is amazing, isn't it? You know, nuts to you, Israel, uh, Egyptians. God has shown you we're the ones. It's brilliant. We're walking through and God has won a victory. They're full of faith and strength. They're loving God being the warrior. But you can imagine others running through, like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and running through as fast as they can because they're convinced that the walls of water are about to collapse on them. Do you see what that's a picture of? Do you see it doesn't matter how they feel about what's going to happen to them? It doesn't matter, in a sense, how much they're trusting God. It's not their own trust that's keeping the walls of water up. It's God who's doing that. It's God who's rescuing them. So it's not how much faith you have. It's not how strongly you feel about those walls of water, how strongly you feel about God that rescues you. It's God. It's the object of your faith. Do you see that? Some of those Israelites are running through in confidence, full of faith. Others have just a tiny, tiny little mustard seed of faith, and they're really not sure what's going to happen, but they're trusting God just a little bit, just enough to run through. And both are saved, just the same. So if you're feeling like, I have a tiny little bit of faith, I'm really struggling, I'm not really sure if I have enough. If you're looking inside yourself and trying to kind of generate a bit more faith, well, don't. Look out to Jesus. Look out at those walls of water. Feel that wind on the back of your neck. Look at his salvation and trust him that it's all by grace. All we have to do is, in obedience, walk through, trust him and come to him and we'll be saved. So if you're feeling that, if you're feeling that slavery, if you're feeling like there's stuff in your life that you want to get rid of, but you just can't seem to get rid of it, you're feeling like even the religion in your life is a slavery that's ruining your joy, that's bringing you down, that doesn't feel like something that makes you want to sing, like those verses we read at the beginning. If you feel like your life is slavery, what do you do? We don't rattle the chains and try and get out of it yourself. Come to Jesus. Come and have him smash those chains Come and cross over and let him do all of that work for you. So that's our second thing. And the third thing, and last of all, well, why are we getting out? Why are we getting saved? Well, I've mentioned him a lot already, the mediator. I mean, these Israelites, I said it before, but really it's not quite true, that the Egyptians are the evil ones and the Israelites are the good ones. It's not true at all. If you see what's going on, the Israelites are the ones without any power and the Egyptians are the ones with the power. And they use that power to abuse others. As soon as the Israelites get that in later years, they do just the same as the Egyptians. There's nothing better about them that would make God save them. So why are they saved? Why are they rescued? I mean, what about us? If you're a Christian this morning, you know there's, there's nothing in you that's any better than anybody outside these walls, outside of the church, anyone who's not a Christian. In fact, most of us feel, and I think, no, we're probably a lot worse than our neighbors. 
We're much more loving, much more kind, much more thoughtful than so often we are. There's nothing different about us, so why are we saved? How come we get to cross over and come to know God? Well, it's all about who. Um, who is getting us out? And then we come to the mediator. So Moses answers the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord. What does God say to Moses? Verse 15, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on, raise your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So why are these Israelites saved? Well, there's nothing really to do with them. It's all to do with this man that God has chosen, to do with Moses. Now, who is Moses? He's the one who represents the people to God and God to the people. Moses wasn't crying out to God. Moses wasn't complaining like the people were, but look at what God says to him. Why are you crying out to me? Do you see that? The, the sins of the people, what they did wrong in not trusting God and in kind of yelling at him, gets pinned on Moses. And one, then what happens? All of God's power comes through this man to rescue So God's doing the rescuing through this man. And the sin of the people is kind of getting dealt with through this man, getting pinned on him. Does that remind you of anybody? I mentioned him a lot already. It reminds us of Jesus, who was a man. And and not just a few sins of a few people pinned on him, but the sins of all of the world were poured on him. All of the plagues, if you know the story that comes before this, all of that anger of God, all the judgment that we deserve for turning away from him, all of that darkness was poured onto Jesus. But he wasn't just any old man. No, Jesus was God himself, not just a special man whose God's power worked through, but he was God himself and is God himself. So he's the one, he's the mediator, much better than an old man like Moses, much better than any pastor or priest you'll have ever met. He is God himself in the flesh. He's the one who Moses points to. Do you see? He's the one who the sins of the world are taken and placed upon. He's the one who gets drowned in the sea of God's judgment. He's the one who goes to the very bottom, sinks like a stone when he's on the cross, under God's judgment, under the darkness, far away from him. He's the one who cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then three days later, passes through that sea, comes out the other side of the Red Sea of Death into new life and a promised land. So a few questions as we finish. What do we do about this? Well, the first question for you is, which beach are you standing on? You're standing on a beach. You're standing at the Red Sea. I mean, figuratively speaking, in your life right now. But which side are you on? Are you waiting to cross? Are you on the side where the people of Israel were, where the Egyptians are, where slavery is? And maybe you wouldn't call it that. Maybe you enjoy your life as it is at the moment. But the Bible says that we're either on one of two sides. We're either that side, still in slavery, still far away from God, still under the sentence of death. But there is time. There is an option to cross that sea and come and stand on the other beach and look forward to that other new country, the new land. So uh, which beach are you on? That's the question. Are you still there in slavery? Even though it maybe feels nice, even though it's maybe a bit unfamiliar, even though, I don't know, are you still there? Really, you don't want to be there. Please don't stay there. That's under the condemnation of death. Maybe you don't feel it. Maybe you still feel like the sun is shining, like life is wonderful, but a time is coming when, when you'll have to pass through that sea of death, and you don't want to stay there. 
Come and cross over it with Jesus. Come and stand on that other beach. If you're a Christian, that's where you're standing now. However much you feel, whether you feel like you have tiny faith or enormous faith, whether you feel like you've failed Jesus a thousand times this week or you've had a wonderful week, whoever you are, if you're trusting in Jesus, even the tiniest bit, you are there through the Red Sea, through death already. It can't get any worse for you. Death will be unpleasant. It's kind of scary. It's unknown. But as soon as you die, you'll wake up on the other side and Jesus is the first one you'll see with his arms outstretched, welcoming you home to that new country. So come on, now is the time to cross that sea. Don't stay over there in slavery. There's a better country ahead. So come on, come and cross that sea with us. Come and cross that sea with Jesus. Trust him by his grace to take you with him. Well, what else could we do? Now we've crossed that sea, if you're a Christian. Well, what does that mean for you today? Well, it means you have the privilege and the responsibility of standing in the middle of this epic story and of witnessing to it. You need to understand that you belong now, even if you feel far away from home, even if you feel like a complete stranger in your community, in your family. You do belong. You belong in this story of what God is doing with humanity, rescuing us from slavery, redeeming us, and bringing us back to himself. So enjoy that. Worship him. Let's sing to him in a moment, and then go out and witness to that. Let's live as people who've been set free. I mean, if you were a slave... What would you be concerned about once you had your freedom? You'd be concerned about other slaves and helping them get free as well, wouldn't you? So let's think about all of those who are struggling and suffering, those in modern slavery, as we thought about a couple of weeks ago, those in the slavery to sin, those still under condemnation of death, those who don't know the joy of being through that sea and looking forward to the new country with Jesus. So let's witness to that. Live in it, enjoy it, recognize we belong, and let's stand up for those um, who are still enslaved. But if you're struggling with that slavery of the heart deep down, what can we do? Well, remember who you are. Remember you're a part of this story. Remember that you belong to Jesus, that he's rescued you completely freely. Don't just try and do better, work harder. That's just slavery again. Come to him and be forgiven. Come to him and know him. Come to him and be part of this family. Cross over by grace. Follow the mediator. And let's look forward together to that new country. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Lord God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us in giving us this story to live in. We thank you that you've made us people who, even though we were slaves, even though we lived in that kind of self-imposed slavery far away from you, you've made us and set us free by the Lord Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would help us to know that, that that truth, that reality, that objective truth would settle into our hearts, that we would know more and more day by day what it is to be free, to be free to live for you, and to live for the good of other people, to love one another in freedom. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know that. And as we cross over by grace, help us to follow that mediator and witness to this wonderful story that we're a part of. Father, I pray for those of us sitting here today who don't know that story, who aren't a part of that, who are still on the other side of the sea. Father, would you help them to know and to recognize this as reality, as true? And would you bring them graciously by your hand to walk through that sea with you? Father, you're such a good God to us. You've given us such wonderful stories to be a part of. We pray that you'd help us to remember who we are this week and to live for you and sing to you with our lips and with our lives for your glory. Amen. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. 
and we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amforchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.